0: Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists.
2: Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And on this episode, we are talking about and honoring the career of the legendary late Neil Adams. Neil was a figure in the realm of pop culture and comics in general that helped change a lot of things in regards to how we see characters how business is practiced in the realm of comics, among many other things. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about our memories of Neil. And with this, you know, we're also going to feature on here our interviews with Neil that we had done previously over the years. And, you know, just to be able to remember the man and pay tribute to somebody who was an absolute game changer of a human being. And, yeah... Now, you know, on this episode, we're going to be talking about, Eddie and I, our first experiences with Neil. You know, myself, uh, back in 2011, I got back into comics, and I remember in 2012 hanging out with my friend Paul, and Paul was, like, going on saying, man, you really have to read Neil Adams stuff. He's an amazing artist. Like, his stuff is so damn good. And the thing that he kept talking about over and over and over was Deadman. Man. Mm-hmm. Now, everyone else... Your introduction to Neil is mostly going to be the Batman stuff that he did with Denny O'Neil, or the Hard Traveling Heroes, Green Lantern, and Green Arrow. Yes, and for, it's it's kind of funny
0: for you, Eddie.
2: Was Dare or was Dead Man your intro, or was it Hard Traveling Heroes?
0: No, it was, and I don't know if they, I don't even know where that term came from, Hard Traveling Heroes. But yes, Green Lantern and that, Green Arrow. That's funny that I'm the one with Dead Man and you're the one with the Green Lantern. That's. That should be, like, the reverse, to be honest. I think it was 1982 or thereabouts where... They were reprinting those? They were reprinting those, and that's where I came into contact with those issues, yeah.
2: One of the trademarks of Neil's work over the years, I'm very hit or miss with it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't for me, but he would take his work and recolor and re-ink it. Just, you know, re-embellish it, do his own thing, make it look better, because sometimes you'll put an inker on something... And it doesn't work. Like you know, what's his name? Frank. Uh, what's his name? The one that would he would do a lot of work on Jack Kirby stuff. He was the Italian man whose name I don't remember offhand right now. You know who I'm talking is about? Is it Frank? Though? Yeah, I think th- it's. Fra- I think it is Frank. Mm. Uh, you but know he, what? He, I no, no, Vin, uh, Vinnie Coletta. Vinnie Coletta. is right. not a really good inker, but we're not trying to put down someone. But what we're, we're going to say is this: Neil would always make the comment about he was everybody's best inker. If you put Neil on your project, chances were you were gonna have a good-looking book. Not just as a you know him as a penciler, but if you're taking someone else's pencils and having him ink it, yeah, it's gonna look pretty damn good. And it was none the more prevalent. For example, recently, a friend of the show, Rob Liefeld, on his show, Rob Servations, this week he paid tribute to Neil, and in it he was talking about this. And I was I was DMing him afterwards, like right before I listened to the episode, I go. Was that his last published professional work? And he goes, Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. He worked on Neil. Neil worked on Rob's uh, Snake Eyes Dead Game book. Oh, wow. And he did like a two page spread. And you can tell 110% that it's Neil Adams doing the inks on there. How he, you know, he adjusts the faces ever so slightly, how he does things with the eyes, the shadowing, and all that stuff. You can tell when something's in Neil Adams. And I, I'm incredibly jealous that. Liefeld got, you know, that. Like Liefeld is a major fan of the Realm of Comics. Just everything about it. He li- sleeps, eats and breathes comics. So to be able to see, you know, who, you know, Neil Adams' final work for a major company was on a Rob Liefeld joint. That's cool.
0: Or, you know, if you want to call it a great get as well, but yeah, yeah just, you know, because he's such an over-the-top person in in the comics that is Rob yeah, to get that from Neil, absolutely. And the funniest thing is,
2: he was actually talking on a show recently with that. He goes, he never had, no Neil never drew cable. Mm-hmm. So he got a cable uh, illustration from uh, Neil about a year or so ago. And he's planning on inking it in the very near future. So Liefeld will be inking on uh Neil Adams original. And when he said that, like I, I immediately messaged back, I'm salivating over the possibility of seeing that. I really want to see that. Sure. Because it's, again... There are characters I would love to have seen Neil work on. But, you know, anyway, going back, going back over me with Dead Man, that run is just a phenomenal series. And I remember going to one of my early shows. I want to say it was New York Comic-Con 2012. I had gone over to uh, this one vendor. They would do, you know, DC books half-off paperback. So whatever the new book was, if, the, if it was there, it was half-off, even if it was new. So I remember a friend of the show, Ruben, he, uh, Ruben uh, Miranda, he pointed that out to me. Yeah, we got the Dead Man books, so I grabbed them. Had Neil sign it, and inside my copy it says "To Peter Neil Adams." And it's it's one of those things. That's that's something very special and near and dear to me. You know, and on top of the, uh, I have a uh, Bucky O'Hare print that he did, and it's also signed by Larry Hama. I just need now to get Michael Golden to finish that mm. and have all three on there. Mm-hmm. But I remember seeing this stuff and. You know, I'm more of the modern age of comics, like seeing how some of these artists are. It's very much a realistic interpretation. But you look at what Neil Adams was doing back in the day. Imagine being somebody who your first book is, you know, to read is a Neil Adams comic. Like, that's mind-blowing. I'm listening to like some uh, some of the Kevin Smith interviews with Neil Adams, and he points out, like, that was my first Batman comic. You can only go downhill from there, in my opinion. <laughs> you know, like... You look at a lot of the artists of the time, they aren't doing that, what Neil was doing, the photorealistic
0: sense, you know? You know, I really need to check into the whole annotated bibliography, if I'm using the right words, of Neil's work to know and to check out what issues, what run of Batman, because, you know, covers are he coming did, to yeah. mind. Covers, um, he did detective, he did main Batman. And I have to know, or I have to check out, especially Deadman, I do have some, some Deadman in... in everything to still get to but I don't know if how extensive Dead Man was as a character in the in the DC books so I got to check out the time frame for that but like I said first exposure to Neil Adams I truly believe was the Green Lantern, Green Arrow in that reprint time because I was no way uh, in tune with collecting the original issues of that when, when they first came out um, and then, uh, then lots of time later discovering his uh, stint in the uh, X-Men and anything else that followed, really.
2: I just got my hands uh, today in the mail. I like when Neil had passed. I immediately went on Amazon and eBay, and I, you know, grabbed some stuff because I'm like, you know what, I want this in my collection. I want to actually read it, hold in my hands. And I remember coming across this like 1996 print of X Men Visionaries Neil Adams. And first off, the design of it is the most 1990s thing you will ever see in your life. And I'm not saying 90s like you know with pastels and stuff like this. It's mid 1990s where they're trying to, you know, do the technology kind of element with design. Yeah. And it's so weird, but it's a cute, it's not cute, but it's like a cool product of its time. But you go inside and you're seeing the Neil Adams art. And again, imagine being somebody reading X Men the issue before that. And then boom, you're getting like the Neil Adams style. Because like a lot of the artists on X Men excluding Jack Kirby, excluding Alex Toth, excluding uh, Jim Steranko, a lot of boring artists. Like, honest to God, boring. Just, like, not that engaging. It's just, like, there's a reason X-Men was always going to be a title that would be canceled. And then it just didn't matter. And the funniest thing was the numbers that X-Men was making when Neil was on the title was through the roof. Mm-hmm. so of course you know they didn't know this at the time it came out later on after he left the title boom perfect so it's whatever but you know you also have to throw in he did one of the greatest Avengers stories the Kree-Skrull War and that mm-hmm. that's one of those stories where it's I love the other artist on it Sal Busema. Buscema is one of my all-time favorites too but Sal is no Neil Adams and I don't mean you know to say that is like an insulting thing, but it's like each artist has their time and place for where they belong. You know, like if you're looking for this, go for this. If you're looking for this, go for this. Like, Mike Mignola is not a Neil Adams, but Mike, but Neil Adams is no Mike Mignola. You know
0: what I mean? Yeah. If you so want to frame if, it like that, if you're going but sure. For
2: certain styles.
0: There are definitely different styles. And as you, as a comic book reader, get more versed and read and see, you know, certain names are going to pop up. Like, oh, that's that person's work I, I can tell by the artwork or in some cases if you're really i guess really good and i'm not the way it's something is written oh i know who must have written that sure exactly or you can tell by the lettering i know those letters from this comic book and it's in this one now okay fine to me the straighter the better the slanty italicized yeah it's tough for me to read or something or focus on i guess it's a visual thing i suppose it's got to be it's reading
2: yeah But in regards to everything that he had done on those titles, you know, Neil did a lot of stuff at Marvel, but the bulk and the importance of everything that he did was at DC. You know, you look at how he reinvented Batman. and It's so many people go on and on saying this, but it is true. You know, there's a reason why all these people talk about how... And I love this version, but... I understand the people's complaints and grievances. You have Batman sixty six. You have the Adam West Batman. And then Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill come along and they just flip it on its bat hyphen ear. And just seeing a change in the character. He's no longer this goofy well, you know, Robin, you know, you need to drink your milk and say your, you know, say your dancing lessons. Saying dancing lessons. Doesn't even make sense, does it?
0: No, I thought you were going to go say your prayers before you go to bed. I was going to go
2: and eat your vitamins. I was going to go like a Hulk Hogan, but I'm like, eh, something like that. Change it
0: up. Well, I think Neil Adams I associate a name with as being one of the first people that I had no idea that if I knew them to be the person to be associated with one comic book company. So Neil Adams I associate, yes, with DC. Yeah. And then I find out, wait, he did Marvel also? Oh, I didn't know that was... And he was doing
2: both... Like at a certain point, like he,
0: it was a big deal when he went from one to the other, and he could do it freely. This was a big thing that, if I remember, you know, not without reading into too many things and just coming across like with me with names of artists and writers and so on. After month after month, I go, oh yeah, that person with this, I recognize that name, and that's it. But not understanding or realizing that these are mostly freelance people, I believe, and. You know, just because I associate a name with one comic book company doesn't mean that anything else is off the table. And this was one of the realization moments, I guess, for me. am like
2: equating it now, you know, some like at the level of how the comic industry is, you know, you go with the modern people. Chip Zdarsky's, you know, doing Daredevil. At the same exact time, he's writing Batman for DC. He's going to be the main Batman writer, and that wasn't done back in the day unless you had a pen name unless you had you know a pseudonym it never happened but now you know things have changed the industry is so much different than it was before so as a result you have all of these different changes and you know you again it feels like a very by the numbers kind of description of you know talking about neil's career but We'd be remiss if we don't talk about his battle for creator rights, where he helped out Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Like, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be seeing, you know, their names any time Superman is, you know, in a uh, major movie or in the books. Superman, created by uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, every single time, and we have Neil to thank for that for fighting for them, saying, "Yeah, give these guys their money because you make you're about to make." so many millions of dollars on this movie and Superman's a billion dollar franchise he still is to this day you go you can't go anywhere without seeing that S it's one of the most iconic visuals in the world like it's I remember somebody goes the three iconic things are Batman or the four Batman, Jesus, Mickey Mouse and Superman all recognizable you can rec- you can show that to somebody be like I know, mm-hmm. I know who that is. I know who that is. I know that is. I know who that is. And that's what it is. Like there a you can't imagine life without these things, which is a weird thing to say, but it's true. Could you imagine a world without Batman? Or Superman? Mm-hmm. Or Mickey Mouse. Mm-hmm.
0: Or Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi. Yeah. <laughs> Can you? I'm thinking here. Don't let me hold you up.
2: But in regards to just these portrayals and the, or not portrayals, but like his impact in fight for creator rights, you look and it's funny because creator rights is an issue that's still going to this day. Yeah. So many creators are getting hosed over by Warner Brothers, by Disney, and it's not fair. It sucks. Yeah. Like seeing you know with the new Doctor Strange movie coming out, Ditko's family is suing Marvel. Can you blame them?
0: No. No, you
2: can't. Yes, it's work for hire, but look at the contracts from back then. You really are going to honor a contract in that style from that time period? It's kind of hard. Uh, yeah,
0: exactly. But with encounters with Neil, much say. more limited that I have than, than you do, Peter. But together we were at a show, and we got to talk to him. I think there was a recorded interview with him at I his think table. You came, you came in at least. Um. Yeah, I may have come in a little bit earlier than.
2: I'm later. sorry, a little bit later than yeah. than you
0: did. You you got in with the advance kind of thing, and maybe within the half hour of the show opening to the public, and the interview got to happen, which was fine. I mostly listened, and you know got to learn a little bit about him. Very knowledgeable, very conversational. I thought and and friendly, and always dressed blue dress, very nice with a tie, very professionally in that in that way, and I don't mean. Professional in a different way, and right away I think of um, Jim Steranko, who's always in a, would always been a white suit essentially. I think minus the tie. He's a real big wig at the comics. But uh, yeah, is, yeah. But just that kind of working individual, because this is his bread and butter, and the industry that he finds himself in. I think it was after we had spoken to him that I found out through a comics documentary of some sort that yes, he helped champion the rights for the Superman creators so that they wouldn't die penniless, for example, and or, or, or you know, to the families. So, you know, my Neil knowledge came along later, dribs and drebs. We, when we did our trip to New York City, to the Marvel offices, got to go to Continuity Comics. Did not, unfortunately, see Neil when we got there, but it was nice to be able to get into that environment did as we, well.
2: Wait, we did Continuity right
0: after the Marvel offices? I think it was the same trip, yeah. same. Oh, that's cool. I didn't, well, I didn't realize we, we did that. Well, we were there. It was, it was August of, what, 2018, I think. Yeah. Yeah, good times.
2: Wow. No, 2019. 19. Yeah, because 18 was uh, the summer of Hulk. 18 was the Hulk, two Hulks in a month. Yeah, that's right. And it's, it's funny because we've had so many encounters with Neil over the years at the conventions. Like, he's... When you would go to a convention and he was there... You knew Neil was there because his footprint at that show was a con table that had its own zip code. Pretty much. You know, like there was so much and I remember like there was somebody said as a joke like, you know, if you walk over to Neil, mention a character, you know, he doesn't have on the table and he'll go, "Ah, honey, I told you we should have brought so and so." Yes. Yes. <laughs> I've I, heard that I... story and I kind of wanted to test it at least once. Yeah exactly but it, the problem was he always had somebody like <laughs> and I'm just like
0: Quantum and Woody have, probably does he probably does have them.
2: and he the funniest thing he did draw Quantum and Woody he, he did would a have three
0: times the size table space that anybody anybody would and I think maybe the, the idea was that you know you don't know what people are going to be looking for yeah and wanting but he knew he knew his audience yeah
2: and like him and his family they would follow the trends of what is the hot thing like when you go to a convention, there are chances you're going to see the following characters there. Deadpool, Harley Quinn, Batman, Spider-Man. And they're always plentiful at the table. Every single time I would go to those booths, I would see a plethora of all of those characters just sitting there. And in so many different poses and so many different variations. He had you know, prints. He had sketches. He had this. He had that. And it was insanely cool to see. And, you know, you look at his impact in the realm of comics. One of his biggest stories of all time is the uh, Superman Muhammad Ali story. Mm. And it's one of those, like, I was very fortunate. I never got, I never could get the Treasury Edition. And I could only imagine how much it's going for now. Yeah, no, it'd
0: probably, I want to say it's... 200? Probably, but... I don't know why I have that figure in my head, but...
2: I think it's like about five to six. Oh, but, but
0: in regards to the book, like, you know, I eventually...
2: I remember when I went to Continuity Studios, and I remember listening to his daughter say, yeah, the book is uh, now officially out of print, so... And I'm like, well, time to go on Amazon in five minutes. And I ordered it, and it came to my house, and that's the story of how Amazon Prime Delivery works.
0: But... What version? W- I mean, that... Well, the I hardcover. Could, yeah, but But like, like okay. I said, you know... You probably ordered it for me. I think I did, yes. but
2: what's what gets me about this is this. It's such an iconic story, and like, there's one visual. And on my Facebook, I posted the uh, photograph of myself and Neil from uh, tr or Big Apple Con 2019. I want to say it had to be 19 or no, it, it, yeah, it was 19 because it was it was the last con there, mm-hmm. and I remember getting the, you know getting him. Uh, to you know, talk for a little bit and the photo I posted with me and him is paired alongside an illustration of Superman shaking hands with Muhammad Ali saying we are the best. Hmm. And you know that powerful visual dynamic it's it works for Neil. And it, you know it's the perfect encapsulation like yes, you could use a Superman photo or illustration, yes, you could use Green Lantern, Green Arrow, you could do X-Men, you can do Avengers, but I feel the simplicity of that shot, that panel alone, speaks volumes, you know?
0: Mm
2: -hmm. And again, it's, it's just such a bummer. It's like, I was thinking about it. It's like, this is a you know, there have been passings in comics this hit me harder than Stan Lee. And that's saying something,
0: like really saying something. Well, how many times could—this is a matter, I think, of accessibility. Yeah, so 100%. If you had more access to be able to converse with Neil Adams— And I did. —then, yeah, it means more. I remember when—so we ended up getting
2: a press pass— or media passes for Avengers Endgame, and it was myself and our former audio engineer, John Sherburn— and I was like, hey, we're in New York City. We should try and see if we can get a tour of the uh, Continuity Studios, because why not? Mm-hmm. So I call him up. I talked t- I talked to the guy, Peter, that works there. Peter's a really nice guy. Um, we're talking for a little bit, and I say, we're going to come on down. He goes, yeah, sure, come on down. So I'm talking with his one daughter. I don't remember her name. It's not Zia, but it's the, the uh, other daughter, the uh, blonde. And she... Is saying you guys do a Marvel podcast, right? And she goes, I go, yeah. And she goes, hold on, let me come back. I'll be right back. Let me show you something cool. And she hands me a two-page spread of original art of Galactus fighting the Silver Surfer. And I'm like, what is this? And she goes, don't tell anybody. Neil's working on a uh, Fantastic Four miniseries with Mark Wade. And I go, what? <laughs> now this is 2019, early 2019. This shows how a comic is produced. This is I want to say eight, late April of 2019. That book did not start hitting shelves until 2020. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those casualties of the uh, you know, the pandemic of how it got delayed a little bit. But when that, you know, I was holding those pages in my hands, I'm like, "Holy shit, this is cool." And I I did remark out loud. I just go, "Am I holding it in the right direction?" And I said because I go You can tell this story upside down, sideways. And she goes, yeah, right? And I'm whatever. So a few weeks later, I run into Neil at another convention. And I say, Neil, I got a question for you. We do a Marvel-based podcast. And I was wondering if you can guest on our show. And then before I could give him an answer, I say, by the way, I've been to Continuity Studios. And he goes, yeah. And I go, I held some of the pages of that project. And I literally put up four fingers. And he goes, yeah. And I go, I held that two-page spread. He goes, "Yeah." And I go, "My biggest compliment I can give you. I don't know what direction I was holding it in, but you told a story on every single angle." And he goes, "Right?"
0: <laughs> I'm like, "Yes."
2: <laughs> but, you know, it it was cool. And by the way, the interview that you're going to hear on this episode, the second one, the longer one, I believe, um that one we couldn't talk about it because we had like he goes, I have to get approval from Marvel. Think about this, ladies and gentlemen. Neil Adams still had to get permission from the Mouse before even doing anything.
0: Yeah, and I guess the Mouse was in place at, yeah. at that point, right? So we right. couldn't.
2: We couldn't. We. It's it's funny. It's like it's that lingering thing in the air that we can't talk about, but it's there. Mm-hmm. So it made me happy to see him. And he returned so many times to DC as well over the years. Like he was doing the Neil Adams variant cover month. He was doing the. Uh, he was doing multiple miniseries. He did the two Batman odysseys, which you know made one maxi series. He did uh, the Superman, uh, the or the coming of the Superman. He did a Dead Man story. He returned to the character that you know brought him to the dance at DC,
0: and then he did one. He did a final Ra's al Ghul story. Did he have you mentioned variant? And maybe it's a, a nonsense question, or it's just simply moot. But did he have an opinion on variant covers? Because I'm sure that coming up in the... He probably loved it. because Bigger he, years of his career, there, there were no variants. You but know. he probably loved it
2: because of the ability of, you know, showcasing artists. Yeah. Because otherwise, like, a variant cover gives somebody the ability to be seen that may not be regularly seen, you know, with the main covers. So mm-hmm. it's like, hey, let's give this person a shot. I think, like, the variants are such an interesting thing, and, like, I do wish, like, variants were a thing back in the day because Neil would have made a killing with that. Just imagine, you know, how many different things he would have done with those.
0: You know what, maybe, and maybe it's been talked about in other realms and podcasts and other things like that, but variants might not have been a thought at all because yeah. just trying to sell your, your title, your, you know, the one, possibly space on a newsstand, you yeah, only had so much... That's the uh, only reason. The stores, the comic book specialty stores weren't as um, popular... And all over the place. Uh, so, yeah, it was a lot of budgetary concerns. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, if, if comic books weren't as popular then in the, in the 70s, let's say, or, you know, because it had its ups and downs. Mid-90s, not good at all. Late 90s, thereabouts. So, yeah. Sign of the times. Yeah, People have more, dis- perhaps, have more disposable income now. So let's get the regular one, but the variant I'm keeping in a, you know, protective case. Well, I mean, order. again
2: prices the variance you know vary based on the uh retailer yes because nine times out of ten they're not supposed to charge that price another,
0: another component in there yeah sometimes shopkeepers are greedy but <laughs> shop wisely that's the lesson yep. here yep okay. anyway
2: but with this you know with the issue of neil passing it you know it made me appreciate his work and i've always been a fan like going through like learning how to draw myself like seeing and borrowing techniques that Neil had like one of my favorite videos out there is Neil on Fat Man on Batman Kevin Smith's podcast about Batman and he talks about tracing and the gatekeeperness of people going on saying you shouldn't trace a real artist doesn't do that who gives a shit the whole you know element of oh no someone's tracing you're not a real artist if you trace well you're learning through the tracing Mm mm-hmm if you go on my Instagram, a lot of the stuff of what I'm doing, I'm learning through the tracing. You can tell I'm doing the tracing. And you know what? I'm having fun, and I'm learning, and I'm adding my own flares. Neil is one of those people that, you know, to hell with the rules. Do your own thing. And that's what I loved about that guy. He just did not care. And he was he was a free spirit with comics. And that's cool to see, you know? hmm Yeah. And... You know, my last time I saw Neil was at a fanfare in uh, New York City. It was a, it was actually at the school he graduated from. And I remember, like, just seeing his table and everything set up, and it's funny because, you know, I was uh, dating my ex at the time, and she, you know, we see the prints, and I'm like, I want to get you something from him. She goes, oh, no, no, don't do it. And she ha- they had a print of Grogu from The Mandalorian. And I'm like... I'm getting you this because first off Neil Neil like discounted his prices at that show heavily because it was at a school. You know, he's not going to do like convention prices at, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's with kids. So he knocked everything down and I'm like I'm getting you this. And I got her the GoGo print Grogu print whatever. But it's like that was like my last time talking to him and I remember um I had talked to him at that show and I go I would love to interview you this weekend, but we still haven't uploaded the other one. He goes, yeah, I know. (laughs) Because he remembered me because we sat for a while at, uh, it was two months prior at um, Big Apple Con in December of uh, 2019. And so I saw him at um, that show at Fanfare in February of 2020. And his son Josh was the one that, you know, helped co-promote that show. And I love what Josh had said, you know? before the pandemic we were the we were one of the biggest shows of the year <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like you know we got a point
0: yeah yeah
2: e- excluding c2e2 you know it's kind of a big turnout he's like yeah so it was it was cool to see him that one last time and i remember um going on us i was like we're this was so if you guys are listeners of the show long time listeners you'll remember around the pandemic we were going full cylinder on that, booking guests, getting so many different people that we could. And believe me, ladies and gentlemen, Neil was one of those people we were trying to get. And we were supposed to do something. I want to say it was in 2020 or at least 2021. But I remember Neil was an option for us and I was contacting Continuity Studios, talking with his kids, and like we were going to set something up. And it didn't happen, but also that interview with Neil that we had done was not posted until I want to say July or June and it's a part of the episode uh, Odds and Ends Volume 2 and Volume 3 will be eventually on the way with you know some various interviews including one that I conducted at the first con back last year and it's kind of funny because some certain things are said in there and it's like yeah fast forward a month later all those things we just said were uh, not no longer no true but in regards to you know This episode, you know, you're going to hear at the end of the episode all of our interviews with Neil, and I hope you get to enjoy them.
0: And if not, we thank you for listening and uh, our remembrances of Neil Adams, who, if you haven't discovered or need to, you know, want to find out more, then by all means, and have a good time with it. This is day two of Big Apple
2: Comic-Con, and we are joined right now with the legend of the Silver Age of comic books. He is a man who is responsible for how we see the Cape Crusader Batman. He is responsible for how we see characters such as the X-Men.
1: That 250 gets me on the subway. Damn right, damn right. 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 The thing about uh, Marvel is that you have the impression that Marvel has a lot of characters, right? Yeah. They don't. They don't. In fact, they're going through a process now of trying to relocate and bring back their characters. But they didn't have... When they started out with Disney, they had Avengers and nearly nothing. I mean, they basically licensed out all their characters. So when they had to search around for what they can do as movies, what did they have? Exactly. So you get Star Wars. I mean, you, like... what? Why would anybody do that? I mean it doesn't even make any sense. It's a, it's a terrible, it's a terrible property. It was a terrible property. Uh, it was, it was, uh, by the way, you know, I mean there are so many. You got Spider-Man, you got Fantastic, you got all these characters. Well, they licensed them all out. Unlike DC Comics, they didn't license really anything out. Maybe, they, maybe something, I don't know. But because of that, they, I'm sorry about tapping the tape, right? Uh Because of that, they, they really had no... I mean, what they did is they took the Avengers and they broke them up into team into individual movies. Then they brought them together as a team. So it's like multiplying the little you have. But they had little. So you're, you're in a, you're in a uh, terrible uh, fix because you have no characters. Here's DC Comics with all the characters in the world, most of them not very good. Um, and 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 here you you've made an association with Disney, and what are you going to do? So you go scrape the bottom of the barrel, and there you get Star Lord. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much, and they made a fantastic movie. They, they're just kicking ass like crazy. Everything they do works. And I, I mean, we, we watch we watch uh, DC Comics uh, movies, and we go, we go and we pray. <laughs> do something good, something decent. And they never do. You know, they got Wonder Woman. You got one, two of the three Batman movies. They had to get a license to Spider-Man. Yeah, they (laughs) did. It's it's amazing. But but they're doing it. And, you know, you've got a big company like uh, Disney behind you. You know, it's going to be hard to argue with Disney quite too much. If they got the money to, to buy a license... You're probably going to make more money off Disney buying a license from you than you are trying to make the movie yourself because, I mean, you have a, you have a company making Hulk. They made two Hulks that were terrible. Universal. Yeah, and then uh, and then they put uh, and then they put the Hulk in the Avengers movie. And it was fantastic. You know, they, yeah, but so it's uh, I, I just think that they know how to make movies
2: better and, and DC Comics hasn't caught on yet. When we did our uh, you know review of Incredible Hulk. That's still, to me, it's an okay movie, but it's not the greatest thing I've ever seen. And then you get Ruffalo in there, and he knocks oh, no, it out it of the park. Right. And I, I've, great. I met him in person, and he's, like, such a quiet, humble guy. Yeah. And he... Well,
1: he's perfect for Bruce Banner, then, you know? And quiet, he's, humble
2: guy is, like, the description of
1: Bruce Banner. He's the right size, too, yeah. you know what I mean? See, it's a little hard to tell what size he is, but he's fine.
2: So, I, I don't know. I think, overall, hey. we're getting some cool stuff, and, like... When I when I interviewed you a couple of years back around the time of Batman v Superman: Fall Dawn of Justice, we ended up having you know a conversation about how we're getting all these actors, and I you know I lovingly said they're getting drafted into the cinematic football teams, you know. Yeah, they are. And yeah, true. like we're getting some also. But I exploded. wish that I wish that DC team was working a little better. Oh yeah. And, and you hear things, you know, like for example with DC, with like the Shazam movie, yeah. you know, and. I remember hearing at one point they don't want to go for that much of a humorous tone or something, and I'm like, really? You're going to do that to that movie? But meanwhile, Guardians of the Galaxy, Thor, Ragnarok, uh,
1: comedic. I don't I get know, it. I know. I know. Even nothing, nothing, nothing in comics in the superhero vein is funnier than than uh, Captain Marvel. Yeah. You got a tiger in a in a in a lounge coat. You got a worm <laughs> coming out of a book. I mean. He, you got Savannah who looks like the Red Skull, you know, I mean, he just, and this is a great opportunity to do a different
2: kind of movie, and they just don't get it. They it was, and it. I feel like the closest thing was going to be Suicide Squad, and then they ended up saying, hey, we're just going to give the uh, editing duties to the guys who did the trailer, that was really good. Come on.
1: I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know how they run that company. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm for them. I, yeah, like, same here. I'm, I'm, I'm for them. I want them to do well. I want it to be DC against Marvel. Um, and and I keep hoping, but you know, we get a woman director who does Wonder Woman, and she does a great job. And you sit back and you go, okay, did, what did somebody put her in a hole somewhere, and 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 never talk to her, so she did a fantastic job? Is that what happened? And is that what you need to do with DC? At Marvel, they all seem, they, you know, it's one of those like it's a committee, but it works.
2: Yeah, it's like it's like Disney's uh, Star Wars division. They have the storyteller group. And they do their own thing. And like yeah. they're they're getting like marvel writers. I believe uh maybe, maybe Dan Slot is
1: involved, people may like be that. It. That may be it. I, I don't know. I, I wish I could tell you the answer. Uh but I can't. I mean I can't I can't even see Batman in a good costume. You got know, one of mm. the best looking guys in Hollywood with a square jaw and everything and they put him in a costume and they scrunch his cheeks so he looks like he's and they put him in this you know, no offense because I love Frank Miller, he's like a son. But they put him in this pseudo Frank Miller outfit as if he's twenty five years older. Yeah. Where where's that? Do a movie in the future and do the Frank Miller movie. Don't try to bring it now back in time, give him a little gray at the temples and pretend he needs that costume. He needs to be athletic. It's, what is going on?
2: It's cliche fan casting, but honestly a Michael Keaton Batman Dark Knight Returns movie would be amazing.
1: No. Really? I'm sorry, I'd have to put a bullet in your head. Michael well. Keaton did a good villain, and Michael Keaton's a good actor. He never was Batman. He never should have been Batman. You need. Ben Affleck is a terrific Batman. Oh I agree. Put him in a Batman costume. You know, don't scrunch his face and give a... he's athletic. The guy looks like looks great. And you put and they put him. A... He, there's a there's one scene where he comes out onto this like platform inside this terrible place and he steps out onto the platform. He's got one of these cosplay Batman costumes on, and the stomach muscles are clawed, right? And they stick out they stick out in front of him like three inches. Yeah. What the hell is that? Really? I also like, think These
2: like for example the CGI. Yeah, what happened to spandex? You know spandex with armor. Well, I always, like, also go with the one scene in Justice League where it's, like, the introduction of Batman in that movie. And it looks like he just came out of a really bad video game. Like, you see, like, the bad CGI background. I'm like, this is terrible. Well, they
1: shooting Superman from down shots. Down shots on Superman? It's Superman. Yeah. He's dark. No, he's not dark. He's day. Batman's night. Is this hard to understand? Exactly. What is so hard to understand about that? Superman is day. Batman is night. Superman is bright and optimistic and positive. Batman is dour and revengeful. Hello, just that's it. Leave it alone once that's done. No, now suddenly Superman is dour and vengeful, except when he's in bed with Lois. Then he's happy as a, a pagan poop. <laughs> right? What the hell? That's the only scene where he's like, he's he's happy. From the rest of the movie on, he's he, there's not a smile on his face. The guy looks good when he smiles. Then they put the goose grease on his hair. Oh, God. What the hell is that? Where did you get that? Is that Vaseline petroleum jelly? Is that what that is on his hair? The guy—he does interviews on television, and he's got his hair blown dry, and it looks great. You know, like that's what he ought to look like. Hello, and would Superman like put grease in his hair? I don't think so. And
2: the one thing is, you know, going—it's too much. It's too much. Going over to the Marvel side of things, you know, we have these stories where it's. We're building up to like the Infinity War, and it took them ten years, but it was perfect pacing. We got perfect character development. Actually, we're building building up in the end to pre-scroll. So that's what I actually came here mainly to ask you about.
1: So you gotta know, that's ten years of
2: movies. Let's, Minimum five years, but ten years. Well, let's say that the Disney Fox deal doesn't go through, and we'll go through. Well, let's say it takes longer. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't they've know. They've got
1: the Infinity War.
2: What I wanna know is this, because I've said it in the past, I actually talked to you know, Jim Starlin about it, I believe, and we you know, talked about like the idea of breaking galactus and people like that. But let's say that doesn't happen. I think the kree scroll war should happen and sure. it w- But
1: it will. Where How can it not happen? You got you got scrolls that turn into human beings. The guy the guy who's standing next to you could be a scroll. Suddenly, transforms into a scroll. He can become super scroll. You got all of this stuff available to you. You have Earth in the middle of an intergalactic war, and they're like the midpoint between this intergalactic war between these civilizations of supermen and scrolls. Who is not going to do that? You can just like throw it on a table with 15 writers and say, just go to town. Whatever you want to do, go crazy. There's it, that. This is 10 years of movie. movie.
2: And imagine like. Because we're also hearing that the upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy movie in 2020 is going to be a completely new lineup after that movie. I don't... I don't... I, don't. I hate that thought. I and hate that so thought. So do I. Same oh, I don't want to... The, same, same lineup. I'm sorry. The one thing we actually... I will did, kill you! We did a podcast last night, our Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 episode, and John Gorga of Carmine Street Comics brought up the point you know the whole family dynamic of them and they're almost like an outga- outcast renegade group version of the fantastic four a family they're the, they're that doesn't like
1: shit turned into into like gold yeah this they they they're wonderful all of them wonderful you like please just stay on the screen forever yeah i will watch you forever you will make billions and billions of dollars
2: stay on the screen and when you see like character like if you told me Drax the Destroyer would be one of the most quotable characters in a movie. I know, I know. That's it's great. great. big Dave Batista. He just I he know. he gets it.
1: And he's great. Dave is fantastic. Dave is like the rock, you know? You can put the two of them together and and say, okay, who's the most quotable guy? I don't know. I'm you know, normally I say the rock, but you know, I gotta say Dave. But Dave is great, you know. These guys are fantastic, both these guys.
2: And I mean, as a professional wrestling fan, looking at Big Dave from his wrestling days, he was entertaining
1: then. That's right, of course.
2: And see, <laughs> so, you know, it's it's kind of cool being like, you know, the little.
1: Hey, uh, yeah, I get dragged into this wrestling stuff by my sons. They're like, uh, they're, "That's Dave
2: Batista, Dad. Don't you know who Dave is." Yes, I know. I got it. I, and I've always found it funny. Like, there's, like I said, you know, there are so many actors in Hollywood. That you know we would love to see cross over into Marvel. So many wrestlers.
1: I like to see that, some wrestlers. I want to see John Cena. I want to see John Cena too. I wouldn't hate seeing John Cena as Captain America.
2: Just
1: saying. Oh.
2: I'm just saying.
1: I mean that the guy who's playing Captain America. He wants to quit, right? He wants to be a director.
2: Throw John Cena in there. See, I. He's I, made to be Captain America. He would have been a good Nuke as well. The one from uh, Born Again, Daredevil Born Again. I'm just saying.
1: He's so powerful, okay, that he can knock off 20 pounds and strip down to be lean and mean and great and do be Captain. America. He is Captain America, isn't he? Really, Pretty in real life, man. he's Captain America.
2: He's got that. Per- he,
1: he's got that attitude.
2: He's got that smile. He's got you know. He's the guy who has the most Make-a-Wish visits, you I'm know. I'm saying. So I don't Jesus. know. But before we go. What we want to know is, how can people get a hold of you on social media, Facebook, Twitter?
1: NeilAdams.com. Very That's cool. so
2: hard. NeilAdams.com. NeilAdams.com.
1: Neil, Adams.com. Neil, Adams.com. Neil if as you always. remember my name,
2: easy as pie. Very cool. Neil, as always, an absolute pleasure. Pleasure. Thank pleasure. you, sir. So, we are joined right now at Big Apple Comic Con, like I said on the last interview, day one of one. And we are joined right now with the legendary artist, Neil Adams. Neil, greetings.
1: Greetings, greetings. How are you doing? Pretty good. Have you run into Steranko yet? We have.
2: And there's oh so much going on at this con, but I have to go to the, the table that has its own zip code and... I just love it. There's so much. I was looking well, at one of your
1: the uh, considering the table and considering the size of the con, uh, it seems like a big uh, table, but the fact of the matter is it generally take something about four times the size of this. This has turned into such a homey little con that it's like going back in time 40 or 50 years to uh, when they started these conventions. And they would hold them in little places like this. And, uh, I mean, there's rugs on the floor. Yeah. I mean, it feels like somebody's home, you know. And everybody's having a great time. And you can see what Comic-Cons have evolved into. But by by the contrast between this and, let's say, the New York Con, which is uh, massive and gigantic and institutional, this is homey and cuddly and warm and cute.
2: It's the heart of what comics
1: are. Well, not necessarily. I mean, you could pick your place in time and say that movies are silent movies. They're not silent movies. Yeah. You can say they're musicals. No, they're not musicals. They're just whatever they are at the time. But at this time, this is a unique little circumstance where it's like, see, you have to remember that there's something in the order of 100 comic book, big comic book cons in America and in Europe. That means uh, that's cons that have only over 20,000 people. But there are 300 little cons in America in a year that have between 3,000 and 10,000 people. Those little cons are like what this is about, except this is in the middle of Manhattan, New York. So it's a remembrance of what cons used to be in New York.
2: I mean, I've never, like, I look through, like, the 1970s, 1980s, you know, comics, and I'll read, like, little ads, like, hey, this con is coming up over here at this location, this hotel. And I do wish I got to experience that too, because
1: well, you can if you travel out to Jersey and, uh, and, and to other places where you can see towns will put together a con, uh, a convention, and it will be local in that area and other you know the towns around about will come and, and they'll have people come, but they they haven't got a venue, so they'll go <laughs> into a local school or they go into a, a portion of the community, and the whole convention's there. Uh, we. Periodically, every once while, well, just for fun, we will go to some of these smaller cons to see what what they're. You know, they'll invite you, and they'll have a special event, and you're going to get an award, and something will happen uh, where they'll have like uh, ice sculptures. There was one we went to that had ice sculptures, and so half the convention had to do with ice sculptures, and there were horribly bad ice sculptures. I don't know why these people. They they basically did models of things and froze ice over them they didn't they weren't sculpting at all but it was fun you know it was like they they had a good time and it was they combined that with a comic-con so you can actually go to these smaller conventions and find them you don't necessarily have to go to the bigger conventions you can get the gamut it's just that in manhattan you don't normally find a convention that's this small yeah and it makes it kind of cute
2: there's a convention, it's a small-level convention. Every year it gets bigger and bigger, but there's one uh, in the Hudson Valley over in Poughkeepsie, New York.
1: We're going to have one at uh, the, the School of Art and Design. Uh,
2: I, I wanted to go to that because... Well, that's going to
1: happen in February. It might have an opportunity. You got I'm a friends a flyer with your,
2: there for it. I'm friends with your son, Josh, and it, that was the weekend I was down in the city, but I wasn't able to make it last year, and
1: oh, Spiegelman was year. there. Yeah.
2: I really wanted to meet him. Like that was, I was kicking myself over that. But...
1: I think that was very nice. Unfortunately, Mr. Spiegelman smokes and doesn't have the sense to put out a cigarette when he's talking to people. That happens. Anyway, <laughs> uh, uh,
2: I live with a smoker. I understand. It was,
1: uh, not, it's not a good thing. Uh, secondhand smoke is almost as dangerous as smoking, so you have to be careful with that. Anyway, Absolutely. Uh, it was good last year. I was there last year. Uh, I had a good time. and enjoyed the kids. We had a little seminar. And, um, I think this year is going to be that much better. I mean, I don't think it's going to be super better but because it's taking place in a school. But anybody who's in the New York area would be remiss not going there because you've got all your best art students going to that school, putting their stuff on display. Uh, we have guests. Uh, we have people who graduate, the graduates, and uh, people who are about to graduate. And the new, new kids coming in. It's very, very refreshing. Really
2: wonderful. That's all. And, like you might be seeing like the next big hotshot artist. You, know? you never know. You never know. Keep your eyes open. And obviously the show The Marvelists, we talk about a lot of things in the Marvel universe. You're of course known for your iconic run at Marvel on both runs on Uncanny X Men, well when it was known as X Men and Avengers, the Pre-Scroll War. And what is I it? hear they're going to be making some movies that sort of relate to that war there's so much that they could do with this and I remember when I talked to you at Big Apple Comic Con I want to say 2018 we talked about you know what they were doing with the whole Spider-Man issues they were doing this they were doing this and I'm hoping to see the X-Men in the very near future and some people want to know which team are they going to utilize are they going to utilize the black and yellow are they going to utilize giant size we don't know if you were the one in charge of this who would you pick
1: i start at the beginning yeah? and I'd work toward the end I mean I think that's the way to go I think you work with you start with Jack Kirby you go to Neil Adams and then you move on And, uh, and uh, I mean there's so much money to be made in that franchise and you want to pick uh, young actors that you can watch get a little bit older, at least for a period of, like, four or five movies. Uh, you don't want to keep on replacing actors quite so much. You want to make, a, you know, pick a, pick a time, you know, a movie a year and do a movie a year and, you know, really take advantage of your franchise. I don't see why that's not done. I don't get it. Uh, if I were trying to, if I were just thinking economically, that would be a smart economic need to make, I, and that's what I would like to see. The Avengers, uh, to be perfectly honest, uh, I see the Kree-Scroll War uh, happening, possibly happening, and I, that would be the right way to go. I think that's the smart way to go. What, is, what happens after that? I don't know. There's, you know there's, a number, there's a number of things I can pick from, but... I really, I would focus on the kree War. I would just, because the Cree War says so, so many plot opportunities. So many characters in disguise that suddenly reveal them. Out of five people, which one is the scroll? You know, there's so much. There's new characters, there's new situations. It just, and they could tap me for the real ending of the kree War, which they have never done.
2: And what is the real ending? Oh, well, there you go. <laughs>
1: it cost you a lot of money.
2: My thing is, I think they're also going to, they are going to utilize that storyline and maybe mash it up a little bit with uh, Secret Invasion, the Brian Michael Bendis story. And you, because when you just mentioned, who's a Skrull, who's not, that might be how they bring back characters from the dead, for example, because...
1: If I, w- if I, uh, there's a thing that Marvel should pay attention
0: to.
1: I don't think they're going to and i don't and i don't see why they don't know. but my crease war has to do with a character named Rick Jones Rick Jones is potentially such a pivotal character in the crease war could do so much which never got done never got exhibited i mean i stopped working on the crease war just as we were about to subversively reintroduce Rick Jones and then see his real background and it was never done for reasons that don't matter Uh, but it is the real basis of the the solidity of the story that was going on and that they should be using.
2: So yeah there's comics, comic books, comic book movies. A lot of things are going on. taking over the world. They really honestly. When they announced Disney Plus, that was. I don't was... think
1: I don't. The problem with, with most of you guys. I'm sorry, all of you guys. The problem with all of you guys.
2: What about guys? you guys? No, you
1: guys. Is that you can't see into the future.
2: Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, my, man, mankind, mankind, up to now, has been affected by the cultural world around you. If you. Go to uh, Assyria or Mesopotamia, or Egypt, or wherever. You think, for example, that it's things happen spontaneously, and so, and things and the, the culture develops the way it develops. It doesn't develop the way a culture develops. You think it does, but it doesn't. It develops through the through the oddball things that happen within a culture. For example. Somebody decides he's going to build pyramids. And suddenly, all we know about Egypt is pyramids. Somebody decides he wants to be able to read what people say, so he develops hieroglyphics. It's usually, it's it's either a guy or a dozen guys or whatever, so suddenly you have a culture that retains your history through words. Uh, people start wearing clothes that exemplify what they do because of how, of how they deal with things. For example, uh, they wear wigs because they can't deal with the bugs, the things that attack their skins. So you have a whole culture of people wearing wigs. Now, they got to get their wigs from somewhere, so they got to get their wigs from certain animals. Then they have to dye their wigs, so they have to develop dyes so everything in their culture is caused. everything in a in a culture is caused by certain things that happen that people have solutions for, so that whether it's buildings or it's uh, clothing or weapons or whatever is exemplified in the in the culture that that culture becomes is created by an individual or a half a dozen individuals or a king that decides something's gonna happen a certain way. So it's the culture that surrounds people that causes them to be what they're gonna be. For example, a little simple of a modern example would be we now have what's called handwriting. We write in what's called script. 10 years from now, that won't exist. Yeah. Because everybody's working on computers. I had to relearn to type. I learned to type when I was younger. I stopped typing and I was no longer typing for three decades. Now I have to learn to type again because I have the keyboard. I've noticed that. And if I don't learn the keyboard That's learning to type. We had had classes like that in junior high where certain girls went to learn typing. I didn't learn typing. I learned cooking or whatever it was that was in that school. So I learned those things while the girls were learning to type. Nowadays two-year-olds can type. Three-year-olds can type. So we're gonna lose script. Yeah. A future generation, ten years from now, is going to look at script and they're going to go, "What is that? Uh, Hieroglyphics? Is that? What is that? Script? Handwritten script is going to disappear. We've had decades of it, many decades. It's going to be gone." Well, it's happening because of the computer. It's happening because of letters. That's the only thing we're going to know. So, how are we going to sign our name? Oh, yeah? I don't know. I don't know. How are we going to sign our name? Matt, Matt
2: pantomimed drawing a thing just now. That was amazing. was a credit card on like an iPad, you know, with the little, they call those, the box, right? And then, like,
1: sign your name and sign with your finger. Yeah, but that's not that's script.
2: Yeah. I still do mine.
1: It's not it's now kind of used, but it's not gonna be ty- kind of used ten years from now. So how are you gonna sign your name? It'll be facial recognition. Yes, it'll be that. facial recognition and so you won't sign your name.
2: True.
1: Well, on your let's say you use a square, okay? You get a square and you have certain codes that go in when you put the card in, and then you're asked to sign your name. You can write a script, you can go like this, and they will accept it because yeah. they don't care. The computer doesn't care about if you signed your name or not. You can put a scribble in, as long as there's a mark. So the computer is not reading your name, nor are they reading your script, nor are they reading your signature. The computer doesn't give a shit. Yeah. This is a pretend thing. Pretend thing is I need to see that instead of you can just make a line. They need the computer when you put that card in. That's all that matters. The script is a is a is a yeah. uh, fiction that they perpetrate because they think that people psychologically need it.
2: Yeah, my friend John Gorga, who runs Carmine Street Comics over on Carmine Street, aptly named, he told me you know you can you can sign whatever and he told me there's been many inappropriate things drawn on those squares so well it's anything more, more yeah. people,
1: women who are shopping they just go like that yeah they write no name they just write a little capital letter and a thing like that and it goes through fine so so except the thing won't accept it unless somebody does something so there's there'll be a moment in time where that'll just that doesn't matter so what's happening? So you're having a, a cultural change that's caused by the fact that the script is going to go away. Yeah. Okay, and, and all writing is going to be hand lettered. Right. Hand lettering, like comic book lettering. Will we use capitals and small letters?
0: Uppercase and lowercase?
1: Okay, we'll definitely lose script. That'll be gone, okay? There'll be no such thing. So, when I say we're taking over the world, okay? You can kind of look at that and say that's something that somebody says. No, it's not something that somebody says. People in India read Archie comics. Very popular, okay? Indians have 112 gods and they're writing comic books to the 112 gods. They'll share that with us. Japanese and Chinese will share it with us. There will be cultural exchanges of gods, of characters, of an international communication on a creative level that has nothing to do with international politics, but has to do with cultural exchanges of ideas and concepts across borders that will have nothing to do with whether Donald Trump is president or not. Okay, will have to do with the cultural exchange and understanding just like if you build a building in cleveland ohio it can look just like a building in new york city even though those architects may be in different cities there's enough international intercommunication between them that they're learning the same thing so buildings in thailand and china and africa are the same as buildings in manhattan So now we're developing a cultural unity around the world, building the same kind of buildings, building the same kind of houses, building the same kind of cars, building the same kind of toys, building the same kind of comic books, building the same kind of movies that will be culturally mayonnaise. Mayonnaise, Hmm. okay? And we, being the greatest contributor, Comic books, being the greatest contributor of movies, television shows, and computer games, are controlling a vast section of the community, uh, the creative community of the world. DC and Marvel Comics, the two head companies that don't know what they're doing, have no idea what they're doing, when they're hiring people, the new head of DC Comics knows nothing about comic books, okay, is making executive decisions. That's this other comic book company. Yeah, Okay. the distinguished making competition. Exec- making executive decisions. The Marvel Comics are making uh, got executive decisions made by Disney Corporation, okay. And so they are affecting the creative world. The creative world, our creative world, Back in the beginning, in the 40s, okay, used to be a bunch of Jewish kids on the Lower East Side. A Bunch of Jewish kids on the Lower East Side. Why? Because they were near. They were right around the block, okay? They're walking around with their portfolios. Now we have people whose names you don't even read. You can't understand how to pronounce their names. Itzhak Riddick people from Czechoslovakia, people from Australia, people from Africa, people from China, people from Japan, people from all over the world funneling all their creative effort into DC and Marvel and they don't know what they're doing. So we have this creative community which is now not the Lower East Side but all the creative world. All coming from different places, all feeding into the same creative community, then making movies and television shows and computer games. How anybody could even suspect that we're not controlling the world and changing the world is almost insane. Yeah. If you look at it from the long range of history, we are changing the world. This... Hotel with this bunch of people, and these people who run the hotel have no fucking idea what's going on here. This is changing the world.
2: When I was at uh, New York Comic Con one year, I'm looking around and I'm seeing like all these different things, like these small independent creators, and like the thing about seeing all of these characters, like what could be the next multi-billion-dollar thing? It could be sitting in Artist Alley, and we don't know it yet. That's right. It's insane. It's absolutely insane.
1: I'll tell you something else
2: comic book artist and writer can turn out a comic
1: book in a month that could turn into a $250 million movie and next month they could do another one
2: yeah it's crazy it is it's the the output of it all and
1: yeah.
2: pretty nifty in a weird kind of way isn't it it really is and like I've you know I've had conversations with people who are currently at Marvel like for example Matthew Rosenberg during my interview with him I mentioned I'm like what is it like that you get to play with these multi-billion dollar toys essentially and what does he say? He was like, I really don't see it that way, but I understand.
1: Exactly. exactly. No, he doesn't understand. But logically, he doesn't understand. He has no concept of history, and that none of the people who do it—they're like they're like the, the children playing with toys, and they have no idea that what they're doing is affecting cult, the culture of the world.
2: When Brian Michael Bendis created Miles Morales, he did not think that character would have such a strong influence on people of all ages people That's of all right. races creeds it's insane so i think that episode is going to be wrapped up right now neil it was an absolute pleasure and honor to speak with you yet again
1: okay
2: so how can people get a hold of you on the worldwide internet
1: neiladams.com
2: all right once again thank you for listening to the show today and thank you again for you know the career of the late great neil adams and the fact he had spent time with us, you know, over the years at conventions meetings, a lot to, you know, this dork who uh, started off as like a shaking fanboy and still was a shaking fanboy every single
0: time he talked to him. But, you know, we remember him through his work and uh, are grateful to having uh, experienced it in whatever way, shape or form. And we hope you feel similarly for the Marvelists. I'm Peter Melnick and I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior.